close nail-biting win at Virginia. But uh, even though it was a win, as we'll discuss here shortly, it kind of felt like a loss in a number of different ways. With me again today is Phil, a.k.a. Young Curmudgeon. Phil, I know we just talked about off-air, kind of moping around the house after this victory, uh, which kind of felt like a loss. Yes, Eric, it did. Um, I mean, I'm more than happy uh, that Notre Dame came out with a victory. I had, you know, walking back around the campus, I was wearing my uh, number five jersey uh, coming back from somewhere, and people were coming up, hey, great win, you see the end of it, all that sort of stuff, people I've never met before in my life. Uh, so some people felt, you know, really great as a win. It was a great highlight, definitely at the end of the game. But, you know, afterwards, just kind of taking it all in and sort of ruminating over the implications that this, the events of this game are going to have on the rest of the season. It, it It's hard to, you know, sort of feel cheery about it. I had a similar situation. I had a friend who's kind of, I wouldn't say he's a hardcore Notre Dame fan, but he follows football and Notre Dame closely enough. He kind of texted me and said, you know, wow, what a throw, what an ending. I can't believe Kaiser made that throw there. And I was kind of like, yeah, I mean, it was pretty, it was pretty, pretty great job by them to finish off the win. But uh, I guess we should just straight away talk about the injury to Zaire. I am um, Brian Kelly mentioned today in his press conference with the media that uh, he had surgery this morning. They think he'll rejoin the team as a traveling member for the Clemson game in a few weeks, and they hope to have him back by spring ball. Uh, poking around the internet, I've seen some things um, that maybe his dad has posted online that uh, the injury wasn't terrible. I think he cracked his fibula and had a minor tear in one of his ankle ligaments, but other than that, you know, it could have been much worse. So um, maybe, Phil, you can talk about the recovery time. They said maybe about five months. Um, and they expect him back for spring ball. Do you think that's uh, maybe a good timeline for him? Um, I, I think that that's a that's probably a, a pretty good conservative uh, timeline for him. Um, basically, um, when I saw the injury, I'm actually kind of surprised that it was just the fibula. Uh, just when I saw the injury in or in the replay during the game it looked like it was going to be much worse. It looked because of just how much torque looked like it was on the ankle. Um, it looked like it was a fit, uh, what we call a tib fib or a tibia fibula fracture where those are the two bones in the lower leg right above uh, the ankle. Um, and when the ankle bends just that much or the lower leg bends that much, you worry, get concerned that it's both bones. So it is definitely good uh, for him that the uh, that it is just the fibula that's broken because when you start talking about the tibia, the tibia is the much thicker bone in the leg. It's the much uh, it's the bone that's much more responsible for bearing the weight of the body. It's a much uh, more robust bone, and the fibula is just sort of there for stabilization um, and attachment of muscles and whatnot. Um, so if that's the only thing that's fractured, plus a little soft tissue injury, that has a much better prognosis than uh, the tibia fibula fracture where, where both of them um, are fractured because the tibia, uh, when you break that, you're going to be able to, you're, you're not going to be able to rehab that as quickly because you have to wait for that to heal before you can even put weight on it. You could usually, from what my understanding is, you can sort of start putting weight on a fibula fracture a little sooner than just a tibia fracture because it carries um uh, less weight. Um, and you know, it's, it's, uh, so five months sounds about right. Um, you know, I think it's important that he is going to be, uh, traveling with the team, um, as Brian Kelly mentioned, because so much of the hype and, and the expectations around Zaire was that he sort of had this it factor, um, and sort of being a leader and, uh, you know, a motivator for the team. Uh, so if he's going to be on the sidelines, I know it's a difficult and it's a difficult and different scenario for a player. He's not going to be able to exhibit the same leadership, but he might still be able to, you know, talk the guys up and give them a spark on the sideline, uh, which might just be needed uh, going forward for the season. So he kind of got his ankle all rolled up on, but then Notre Dame scores a 24-yard touchdown by CJ Prosize to go up 
2614. Um, yeah, I was just kind of staring at the screen kind of blankly. I wasn't necessarily thinking all oh, the season's lost, just kind of searching for answers as quickly as I could thinking, you know, are, are we even going to win this game? You know, the defense kind of, well, was kind of in the middle of falling apart at that point, but the defense continued to play poorly down the stretch. Um, what was going through your head uh, as soon as you saw the injury? I think most people kind of realized that it was not going to be uh, good news. Um, I have to make a bit of an admission. I was not watching live when that happened. Um, I'm the president of the Catholic student organization down here, and we were having a barbecue. So I was out uh, barbecuing with some people, and we were going to have the we arranged to have the game on. We had a laptop down, and we were going to play it. But once we got off campus, and we don't get our internet beam down from America. We got the not-so-nice uh, response from WatchESPN.com that said, oh, sorry, you're not in America. You don't get to watch this, <laughs> uh, even though we had Wi-Fi and everything. But um, but I was watching well, – I was you know sort of keeping tabs on my phone, sort of getting the text updates. And I was on the grill, and uh, I almost wanted to jump in with the, with the chicken and the burgers. And when I saw that, he was – carted off the field um i was not pleased about that and my my spirits definitely sank um i i was you know i'm sure as most irish fans because so much of our hopes were riding on malik's ability to run a very potent offense and and finally brian kelly had somebody who can really take this offense to its full potential and i think that the implications weren't so much for this game as it i mean it the game being closer than it was than it should have been certainly helped, but the implications were not just for this game, but you know, the season going forward. And I think I was found myself looking ahead and saying, "Oh man, this is this is not a good way to uh, begin this what was supposed to be a very promising season." All right, so Notre Dame ends up winning thirty-four to twenty-seven uh, on a, a beautiful touchdown pass by backup quarterback Deshaun Kaiser. We'll get to the offense. Here in a second, let's switch top. Let's switch a little bit to the defense. Talk about them first. They looked great early on, kind of shutting down Virginia. A couple of three and outs. They headed into the second quarter. Really, with all the momentum, the offense kind of was sputtering, but put up some points on the board. You would like to have seen some more touchdowns there. Maybe buried Virginia early. Seems to always be an issue for Notre Dame, but the defense pretty much fell apart. They ended up shutting out Virginia in two out of the four quarters. Yet. Really, we walk away from this game feeling kind of almost worse than we do with the offense without Zaire. Would you agree with that? Definitely, because like we said at the end of last week was that um, Texas was not a big test to the defense. You know, Texas which just seems to have been so incompetent on offense that we couldn't measure the defense. And this week – just made it seem like it was more Texas was bad than we were good. Um, I mean, it seems like initially we were doing well, but the thing that bothers me the most about this defense is that when things sort of get off track, they just seem to have no ability to dig deep. Not, I don't want to say because they have a, they don't have the heart, but it seems like they can't dig deep and hold their own when things aren't going perfectly um, or when an offense is acting competently. Um, it just seems that they get off track. They get confused. There's a lot of the miscommunications abound and whatever that reason is. And I think we can spend some time dissecting that in a couple of minutes, but I just, it just made me feel again, another sinking feeling about going forward, looking forward to Georgia tech, looking forward to USC that, man, I don't know if uh, this is, this team is going to be as special as we uh, anticipated. I tried to write about this in my recap that'll go up on Monday. I, I kind of pinpointed three issues with the defense that I have. Um, the one that you kind of talked about, I wasn't really sure how to explain it, but I guess, you know, you, you said it pretty well. They kind of get off the rails and they, they just have a hard time getting back on. You know, they fall off the horse. They have a hard time getting back on it. Um, they seem to be really hot and cold under Van Gorder, have like a really great game like Texas, and then come back with a with a really poor performance. Um, and we seem to be getting more of the poor performances uh, throughout his 15 games as defensive coordinator. So, you know, it's like the opponent kind of finds a couple things that they can do really well against Notre Dame and 
whether it's we don't adjust or whatever, it's just they keep going back to that well and we can't do anything about it. It kind of felt like that was the what was going on against Virginia. The other thing, which is kind of more of a long-term situation, was you know pl- players not living up to potential, which you know I, I've seen some people kind of make allusions to the 2009 defense. And, you know, there was a lot of talent on that defense, and we just saw a handful of those players just not playing well at all. And I think it's a little bit scary right now. You know, I don't think the corners have played all that well. At least they didn't play very well in this in this game particularly. Uh, kind of ditto to the safeties who I think, at least to this point, are still massively overrated. Um, you know, every, the linebackers really haven't played that great this year outside of Jalen. So, you know, when those when you start to see stuff like that, players who have talent that aren't really living up to that potential. It's kind of scary. And obviously the big thing is the blitzing really isn't working right now. Um, you know, I didn't really have a huge problem um, with the blitzing overall in this game. I thought we got pretty good pressure on Matt Johns. I thought, you know, we'll talk about it. He got pretty lucky on a lot of throws. And I know it just seems like this always happens to Notre Dame, but he really had a career game. I, I bet if we played them 10 times that that would be his best performance by far. But, you know, you look at this this defense, and I'm, I'm thinking we would probably be better off if we had uh, a Bob Diaco type of a uh, scheme right now. You know, we, we completely shut down their running game on the inside in between the tackles. They pretty much had, uh, you know, a jet sweep was their running play. They would get some big chunks out of there every once in a while, but they pretty much gave up on the run. We've been pretty stout. Uh up the middle containing the run. You know, we, we, we collapse the pocket with our defensive line, but we just don't really have the blitzers. I mean, Jalen can blitz occasionally, but we need him in in pass protection or uh, in pass defense. And, you know, Russell had a nice sack and fumble, but again, we need him in coverage too. So it's, it doesn't really feel like we still are, we are yet to have the, the, the personnel to really have this, you know, blitz heavy scheme. So those are kind of the three things that I'm worried about. I don't know if that's really going to get better uh, this year. You know, we're probably going to double down on the blitzes, and my fear is it's just going to get worse and worse. Yeah, just to respond to a couple of those points, um, Matt Johns, you know, did have the game of his life, and I'm really getting – I don't want to, you know, drop the hammer on you, Eric, but I'm getting kind of tired of hearing that. You know, that that how many of these quarterbacks are, oh, they, well, he had the game of his life. Well, I mean, let, let's be very hypothetical here. Are we saying that, you know, if we were to play in the playoff, which I don't know how likely that is at this juncture, you know, are we going to say that we're going to get Cardale Jones on, a, on, a, on an off night? You don't think he's going to come out and have the game of his life? I mean, just because this kid is having the game of his life is not an excuse for, you know, how poor if, if the defense is not reacting poorly. I mean, I saw so many just ducks getting thrown up there that were falling in between, uh, you know, uh, the, the players, particularly when we were playing zone, you know, whether it was cover three in particular, it seemed like he was just finding that sort of spot out there and three guys were standing around him, you know, three DBs in the position to make a play after the catch, but not to defend the pass. Um, you know, maybe you could say, yeah, he had the game of his life and he got lucky, but you got to figure when you're playing a much more competent quarterback, Deshaun Watson comes to mind, that he's not just going to be heaving it up to that space and hoping for the best. He's going to be dissecting that space and, and, and targeting that space and looking to exploit that space, that hole in the defense. And you have to figure out a way to stop that from happening. Um, uh, in terms of players living up to their potential, I think – uh, players are our players are playing well uh, from a physical standpoint, um, from a hustle standpoint. I think that this defense is not is is too. I don't I don't want to say it's too complex because I know that's sort of just the knee jerk response to Brian Van Gorder's defense. But I think that you know, particularly the linebackers. I mean, you look at James on Wallu. You know, he was forced to cover a guy 20, 30 yards downfield and gave up a big reception. I I don't know if he gave up more than one. But you know, why why are we having linebackers? running out, I mean, out there to on uh, these plays, you know, trying to cover, I think it was their best wide receiver down the field. I mean, even if you have Jalen out there doing that, you don't want Jalen doing that all game. You want him up, you know, in the middle of the field, you know, potentially able to react to run or pass. Um, So there's a lot going on with this defense that, you know, you mentioned uh, getting more Bob Diaco type defense. I think the question is, 
we need to play more base. I mean, I think that goes without saying is we need to have a base set and run more out of base and not have all these substitution packages and all this stuff, because that's where I think we get bogged down is once the miscommunication starts, it just sort of snowballs on us. And the question is, I know that four, three is sort of our base, but do we want to go to more of a nickel base sort of thing? Um, if that's because it seems like that's what we need, because it seems like costly, our linebackers are getting picked on, um, in passing situations, I think uh, the Cavaliers, you know, basically, if you look at the comparison between uh, teams, you know, our rushing average was significantly higher, seven point four to four point two for them per per carry. But their but their uh, yards per pass were higher than ours. We had they had seven point six yards per pass. We only completed six point five yards per pass. You know, I don't think our defense should be allowing those kind of numbers. And it's, it, I, I, there's something that's got to give with this scheme, better adjustments or whatever it is, but they need to figure it out rapidly. You know, it kind of summed up the whole day in defense for me was uh, Virginia's fourth drive. It was their first touchdown drive. Um, it, it leaked into the, the beginning of the first, uh, the second quarter. Um, they had just completed a first down pass. And then this series of plays kind of summed up everything for me. Uh, Mizell rushed for three yards on first down, and then he rushed for a yard on second down. So uh, it's third and six, and Virginia false starts. So they're in third and 11. And I think this is the play that was tipped. Goes right through Shoemate's hands, and Severin picks up the first down on 18-yard gain. The very next play, I think they go uh, down the sidelines. Severin was being covered by Anawalu, as you were just talking about. For a 38-yard gain, so they're now they're down at the four-yard line, and they end up scoring a touchdown, and boom, we've got ourselves a game. Uh, it could have been, I think that would have been three straight, three and outs for Virginia, but you know that kind of summed up the game for me. Really, we just kind of shut down their run. Uh, a, a weird, a weird completion that was tipped goes right through our hands. We don't take advantage of it, and then they kind of take advantage of uh, Anawalu on their best receiver to uh, make it kind of a game. Um, Let's kind of talk about the future a little bit. You know, we got an opponent coming in this weekend in Georgia Tech that obviously is, is so much different than any other team we're going to see outside of Navy. I mean, do you think the team is going to be able to regroup? Are you kind of looking forward to playing Georgia Tech in a way that we can kind of focus and kind of know what we're going to be getting out of Georgia Tech? Um, you know, there's been some talk about how – I don't know if you've seen this. I've, I saw it a couple places – coming out of the Virginia camp that they kind of threw all this new stuff at Notre Dame over the weekend. It didn't really bother doing any of that against UCLA. I realized that's kind of goes hand in hand with the, the old adage that, you know, the opponent quarterback played the game of his life. But um, what do you think about facing Georgia tech kind of having to rebound after this defensive performance? Well, you have to have one. You, you can't, if you, you can't fall flat against, uh, the Yellow Jackets. If you if you come out flat against the Yellow Jackets, if you come out communicating poorly, um, if you're not playing to your fundamentals, we're going to get slaughtered. I mean, th- there's no two ways about that. We need to control the line of scrimmage. We need to play because because there's only one way to defend the option, and that's good assignment football. Um, you know, you have to have the quarterback, the fullback, and the pitch guy. Um, you have to stick to your assignments. You have to communicate well, and you have to tackle. Uh, from the tackling point of view, I don't think we were as bad as we were last year. I think we do uh, – those fundamentals have improved. But particularly when you're looking at the back and the defense, Shoemate and uh, Redfield, they do seem to come pretty good and come up pretty well, I should say, in, in run support. So maybe they uh, need to have – maybe they're due for a good game. Um, you know, the other thing when it comes to it, though, I know – uh, Georgia Tech isn't going to be passing the ball much. But one of the things that we always talk about with Brian Van Gorder's defense is that, oh, well, we're going to take some chances. Uh, we're going to get some, you know, plays or losses or turnovers or whatnot. You know, we run the risk of giving up the big play because we're being aggressive. But that's not what we're seeing on the field. We're not seeing, you know, what you expect, like corners jumping routes to try and get picks. We're not seeing any of that. We're not seeing, oh, well, he got behind it because you were trying to be too aggressive. We're not seeing that. We're seeing guys – just almost out of position, you know, you're giving up the middle of the field. And that's the thing I never understood about Notre Dame is why we, 
the last couple of years, we just give up the middle of the field so easily. And, you know, I, I kind of, it burns me a little bit because I was such a, and I kind of still am a, such a big uh, cheerleader for Brian Van Gorder. And one of my former roommates called me out on it when I was distraught over the weekend. Um, and, uh, you know, basically saying, ah, Brian Van Gorder, what the heck is this guy doing? And he was, you know, called me out as he should have on it. You know, at the end of the day is that, you know, we're not getting the job done. And, you know, hopefully against Georgia Tech, I know Brian Kelly has been saying that they've been sort of had this game circled and they've been prepping specifically for the option. So hopefully uh, they'll come out ready to play. You know, I just don't want to see any more of this nonsense with, you know, Sheldon Day on fourth and two dropping into, a, you know, sort of a short zone behind the line of scrimmage. I mean, what is that? Why would you take our best pass rusher or not best pass rusher, but best lineman at the point of attack on a fourth and two and just kind of take him out of the play? I mean, that's just, you know, trying to be too clever. It's not, there's no wisdom there. It's just, you know, you're being clever and it's blowing up and you're trying to be clever and it blows up in your face. Just stuff like that just needs to stop. Let's just, you know, get back to basics and just, you know, take advantage of the matchups that you have and just, just go out and play the game. Yeah, the blitzing, I mean, you can't really be a, a blitzing team and have one sack and only four tackles for loss. Like you said, you got to – if you're going to have the, you know, kind of live or die by the blitzing, you're going to have some big plays against you. You at least got to have – the plays in the backfield that are wreaking havoc. And that just didn't happen against Virginia. Um, but we're not even forcing, we're not even like forcing incompletions. We're not, we're not defending passes. Well, it's, 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 it's almost like we're, I don't, I, I don't even know how to articulate it. It's almost as if we've taken the back end of Bob Diaco's defense with the front end of Brian Van Gorder's defense, put them together and none of it works. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, Is definitely. That, you know, we're playing behind the receivers. We're not playing press, man. I don't know why we were all talking about, oh, Kamari Russell's going to finally show he's such a great cover corner, you know, in this press man defense. Where is it? What are, what are we seeing? Where, when do we get to see all these things that we all talked about? You know, it's like we, t- we hear one thing, we get hyped for one thing, and then it's we get a different thing on Saturdays, you know. So just, just keep it simple. Let the, let, let the athletes you have play and just go out and hit guys. I mean, come on. Okay, well, let's transition to the offense. Um, you know, in some ways they had a pretty good game. C.J. Procise went off for 155 yards, 17 carries, over nine yards a carry, scored a touchdown. Um, for the most part, I, w- I think this was a pretty strong game on the ground for Notre Dame. Zaire chipped in 87 yards before he was injured, although a lot of that came on one long, longer run. Um, but it nice if he had scored on that play. Um, but I, I think the, the talking point coming out of this game is going to be the four short yarded situations where Notre Dame failed to convert. Um, obviously, um, over 10 on third downs, which I write in my rec- recap is I'm obviously angry about it, but on the other hand, I'm kind of like impressed that you could actually go over 10 and almost have 500 yards of offense and actually win a game. I've really haven't seen any statistics floating around about, you know, if you don't have a third down conversion, how many, like how often do you win, you know, kind of what do you average statistically in yardage and points? So, and I guess it kind of was like amazing that we were able to, to pull this one out. Um, but those short yardage things, I know there's a lot of consternation out there about the play calling there. I don't really, I don't know. I, I don't really like to second guess play calling. You know, we were running the ball pretty well and uh, we tried to run it down their throats a few times and it didn't work out. So um, what do you think about the offensive general? You know, obviously Zaire did not have a good day throwing the ball. He he seemed to be out of it from the get-go. The offense, I think the biggest takeaway you could take from the offense is that, first of all, C.J. Process is the real deal. Yep. Uh, he is more than a competent replacement for Terry and Folson. I still wanted to stop spinning at the end of routes, but if that's the only thing he's doing wrong, I'll, I'll take it. Um, from the rest of it, man, that's – 0 for 10 on third down is absolutely deplorable. I'm sorry. With this offensive line, with, with having CJ Procise back there, you know, it's just it's just kind of mind-boggling, you know, against the defensive juggernaut that is Virginia, right? Um, not to take anything away from them, but come on, man. It, it's I don't understand why we can't line up under center. 
I'm not saying we need to be running out of the eye the whole game. I'm not saying bring back the T formation. I'm just saying third and one, fourth and short, third and short. Why are we not running, you know, from under center? I mean, these, these looks in the pistol and in the shotgun are just not getting the job done. I mean, it's not that we're getting pushed. It's just that it take, you know, there's a reason why teams do that. Teams, you know, go under center when they're trying to get short yardage, you want to limit the amount of, time it takes for the running back to even get back to the line of scrimmage you know um you know i've always sort of thought about this that maybe you know we used to do that with golson and zaire because they're not particularly tall guys you know they're six foot um six foot one you know on a good day so maybe it helped them see the field make reads better or whatever um which doesn't make sense because at fsu i noticed in the game against southern florida golson spent a lot of time under center um so I thought maybe that was an explanation, but um, it doesn't seem to be. But at the end of the day, man, it's not that we're running the wrong play per se at the at the line. At that point, you're still running inside runs, ISOs, maybe some power, which is good, which is what you want to be running. But at the end of the day, if, just get them under center. You know, don't make it so complicated. You know, if 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 we running, if our I understand that the problem is that we're running most of our running plays out of a base of the zone read. That'll probably change a little bit uh, with Deshaun Kaiser. But, you know, we need to get some basic ISO, uh, maybe an ace look, you know, with just the single setback uh, to, to to get these short yardage plays because we need to be able to finish here. Um, because the offense is reminding me a little too much of our 2012 offense where we can move the ball, but we couldn't score touchdowns in the red zone. And that was supposed to be the big difference this year with Malik Zaire. Uh and even with Malik in the game, we weren't seeing it against Virginia. You know, how many times did we get inside the, you know, the 20 and, you know, just fizzle out? We need to be able to do that. You know, Brian Kelly really needs to evaluate, you know, not even just the play call in those situations, but the formations in which we choose to run those plays out of. Uh, and, and it's a little, you know, a little concerning, you know, that we can't just blow Virginia off the ball on third and two. That, that concerns me a lot. I hear what you're saying. Um, I think my issue is, you know, this is always a hot topic, not just for Notre Dame fans, but it seems like a lot of other college football fans. But, you know, there's a lot of other teams that stay in shotgun and have good short yardage running games. Now, my something I'd always wanted to research is kind of looking at which of those teams that stay in shotgun the majority of the time or all the time kind of have mobile quarterbacks that are, kind of helping things out and kind of what they're doing with their, their play calls. I think in Notre Dame, in the example of Notre Dame, especially on Saturday, it's kind of a, a double whammy. Um, you know, I'm not really, I'm not really someone who thinks that we need to go under center, but I think that, you know, you need to do, you need to show some misdirection, you know, we throw a jet sweep in there or fake it. We just kind of went to shotgun and just lined up and gave the ball to pro or Adams and kind of tried to charge forward and, that was that, you know, I don't really necessarily think it's a bad play call because you're hoping that you can overwhelm Virginia. Although I will say they have pretty good defensive tackles and they played pretty well in this game for the most part. But, you know, you're just kind of saying, well, we're bigger and stronger. Here you go. But I would think, you know, especially moving forward with Kaiser at quarterback, you know, we just can't stay in shotgun and not, you know, kind of take advantage of all the things that you can in the spread with misdirections and, and jet sweeps and all that stuff. I think, what we kind of failed to do on Saturday was just getting way too basic, which is kind of ironic because a lot of people like that, but when it fails, the immediate kind of thing to do is point the finger at the play calling. So, you know, I'm, I'm anxious to see kind of what we do with, with Kaiser now that he's not as fleet of foot as Zaire. I know Brian Kelly mentioned today that, you know, he said he's not, he's not the type of runner that Zaire is, but he could still make plays with his legs. I'm interested to see, you know, exactly how we change the offense. And really now you have to be afraid, you know, what happens if Kaiser gets hurt. Now we're, we're looking at a true freshman, a quarterback with a, with a walk-on, well, former walk-on uh, redshirt freshman behind him. So it, it can be kind of scary. I'm, I'm kind of interested to see how the offense changes under with Kaiser back there. Yeah, definitely. I, want, I do want to see um, maybe a more traditional sort of look instead of just more – looking more at the power end of this power spread sort of thing. But I mean, we did see that 
Uh, Kaiser has a big arm. He's got a live arm. He's got an accurate arm. I mean, you look at how he just dumped it into Fuller's breadbasket with all the chips down. Um, you know, that's definitely got to, you know, be heartening to uh, to us fans. One thing I will say about Zaire uh, yesterday was he wasn't running the read option that well. Um, and I noticed this also against Texas a little bit. You know, Texas, we kind of blew off the ball and we were able to get away from it and get away with it. And it was mashed a little bit. But he wasn't reading the defensive end particularly well yesterday. It seemed like, you know, the, the defensive end was really uh, crashing down on the running back. And Zaire was seemed a little hesitant to pull the ball and move and run outside. I think we would have had a lot more success if, you know, he was doing that. So I don't so the so the question becomes is was Zaire doing a poor job of reading the the you know the end or were these plays really just design gives from the get-go and there really was no read component to it and you know it was just a give and you know you know you sort of just took whatever the defense gave to you um and i think that that's one of the reasons we were less successful um yesterday on the run game just because i just it seemed like for whatever reasons Zaire was not making the proper reads uh uh in the run game at during the read option um, but you know, Kaiser was, a, uh, you know, Kaiser can move with his legs. He's big. He's, he's taller. He's definitely taller. He weighs about the same as Zaire. He might not be the same sort of running back prototype that you would like, uh, to be as run heavy, but Hey, the kid can move. Uh, you know, he, he can pick it up with his legs. I mean, you look at Aaron Rodgers, you look at, you know, Tom Brady, you know, these are guys who aren't, you know, you know, running backs masquerading as quarterbacks, not to say that that's Zaire either, but, you know, they can pick it up when they need to, you know, and, and move, you know, downfield. Uh, so I'm not willing to write off Kaiser to say that we're going to completely change the deep, the, the offense uh, now with him at the helm. His accuracy, um, I've been pretty impressed with. He skipped a couple balls. It kind of seemed like they've all been the same throws, kind of quick outs or a quick comeback routes to the sidelines. He's, put a couple of those in the dirt. But other than that, you know, accuracy is kind of a one of those things that people were talking about, especially in the spring. Uh, but, yeah, he's got a he's got a really good arm, I think. I mean, maybe the, the one thing I've been most impressed with in the brief glimpses we've seen was he doesn't seem scared in the pocket. And I know that's kind of a low bar for, you know, a quarterback at this level. But, you know, he's still young. And I thought he had – really good suddenness to him in the, in the pocket, kind of almost like big Ben uh, type of movement in the pocket. And I think it's even more uh, exacerbated because he's so much bigger than Golson and Zaire. But even on that touchdown pass to Fuller, he kind of, you know, he, he, it would have been fully okay. I think and understandable if he kind of panicked and, and maybe tried to run the ball or, or, uh, you know, look to his right and rolled out of the pocket, but he just kind of hung in there and uh, I think he has that confidence that you know he's a bigger he's a bigger guy and he knows that he can take a hit and, and get the ball off. Uh, so yeah, I'm really curious to see just how fast he is if he can like open it up. Let's say he does keep the ball on, on a zone read, and I'm wondering, you know, is he going to be someone who's going to be like, oh, he's going to get five yards and that's pretty much it? But or can he open it up and uh, you know get a little bit more yardage than that? So. Uh, he's a big kid, which I think is going to be a lot different for us. It's been a while since we've had someone that big who can actually run. You know, Tommy Reese wasn't exactly small per se, but obviously he couldn't run. And I guess you'd have to go back to uh, to Chris as someone with like NFL size that could actually move at least. Chris could move for a little bit at least. What about special teams? You know, kind of. It always seems like uh, we win a lot of games and. You know, the defense plays okay, the offense plays good or better, and we're always like, oh, but the special teams. This special teams actually was pretty great in this game. Yeah, I thought so. Um, I mean, Yoon missed one, which, I mean, I know that the announcer missed, and I missed it. It looked, I don't know what that did. I mean, I know he pushed it right, but it certainly looked like a field goal initially. Yeah. Um, so I was a little surprised by that. But, you know, he, true freshman kicker, second game, you know, some pressure going on that the offense really isn't getting it done. They're relying on him. I mean, you got to give props for the, uh, the fake uh, field goal 
going on there. That was that was pretty cool. At that point, I was like, "What the heck is going on? What, you know, uh, what, what, what were we trying to do there?" But it was awesome. You know, it worked. Um, and of course, uh, the funny part was that by the time uh, uh, Kaiser came in and threw the game winner, you know, they couldn't even say that was his first uh, touchdown pass anymore because the first one counted as his first touchdown pass, that little shovel pass. Um, So that was cool. And uh, we got to see a little bit from CJ Sanders. Um, uh, He he had a pretty good return. I think it was something around 30 yards. Uh, One thing I would have liked to see is, again, just better blocking for him. You know, I don't understand why we still can't, you know, get stay in front of the gunners for the other team. I really don't understand why that's such a, such a Achilles heel for Notre Dame. Uh, I mean, um, our punter, whose name just uh, Tyler Newsom. I mean, he 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 was averaging. I think I saw the number is fifty five. Yep, I think it was fifty. Uh, we're looking at it right now, fifty five point eight on yeah. four punts. I mean, that's that's good. That's real good. I, you know, you gotta like that. Uh, so I mean, it was good. I, I think we did pretty pretty well. Um, on the special team side, I think there's definitely some improvement. Like I said, you know, just block those gunners. I don't know what we have to do to make that happen, but let's make it happen. Um, you know, but outside of that, I thought special teams, uh, like you said, had a pretty, pretty decent game. I'm definitely in the camp that thinks, you know, I don't know. I, I watch a lot of football and like really nobody blocks punt returns anymore. I mean, basically in this game, I've said this before, you really only get returns nowadays if, the punter out kicks the coverage, which happened on a couple of uh, Sanders returns, or, you know, he line drives it and you kind of run up into it and take off. Um, so I'm not really all that worried about the, the coverage on the blocking on punt return. Um, I'm not really a big fan of Carlisle at kick return. What do you think about him back there? I was wondering if we're going to see someone else. I thought he had an opportunity to kind of break one, at least from the camera angle. It looked like he had all this open field and he, he kind of broke towards the, the open field, and then I, I don't know if – I don't think he's juked anybody because he's really not that good at it for a smaller guy. But someone fell down in front of him, and he kind of jumped over him. And then I was like, oh, he's going to break it. But then he immediately got tackled. Um, he seems to be able to just run hard in a straight line, but we're not really seeing much else out of the return game, kick returns. Do you think – I don't know who else. I know ProSize was the up man on, in the first game, but we switched to uh, – to uh, Josh Adams in the second game, which I think is a bit of a curious choice. Um, I'm not really sure why I mean, you don't just put Sanders back there and let him do both return games. Yeah, I don't really understand that, uh, why you wouldn't have Sanders at least back there if you're going to put two guys you know, as an up man and one guy as the actual receiver. Um, in terms of Carlisle, I, I don't understand why he's not as dynamic. I, I think everybody kind of just assume he's a shifty sort of scat back sort of guy and just, Oh, therefore he must be elusive and dynamic. And he really has not demonstrated to, I mean, he, he plays decent in the slot, you know, he can run the slants well and seems to have pretty decent hands, but you know, for a 50 year senior, if you go back to the mental era, I believe that was against Texas, right. It's sort of all melding in my head. The one where he sort of faked the knee and then came out. That was last week, right? Yeah. That was the first game. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I couldn't remember which which one it was. But, you know, so some of those mental errors are kind of surprising for a guy um, who is a fifth-year senior who has been handling kicks for most of his time here at Notre Dame. Um, and I guess I would want to see C.J. Sanders back there because it does seem like our kickoff, our, our kickoff return coverage is better than our punt coverage in terms of protecting the, the return man. And I think we would like, I'd like to see CJ Sanders there because I think just, he's just such an exciting and he really is a dynamic player uh, that he really might have the opportunity to break a few Um, in terms of CJ Procise being back there. No, I don't want him back there. And, you know, if he's, if he's number, if he's running back number one now, uh, you know, let's keep him healthy. You know, that's the watchword now is healthy. Um, So I'd like to see Dexter Williams back there because I want to see Josh Adams as the number two guy. Um, for the same reason as CJ Procise, let's keep him healthy. Also, another just as an aside, we saw Josh Adams at the beginning of the game, and then he kind of disappeared uh, towards the end of the game. You know, he had like I think two carries or something in the first quarter, and then he sort of disappeared after that. Um, you know, I guess that's all right because he had he only ended up with three attempts. Uh, 
uh, Adams did. But, you know, when ProSize is getting 155 yards on 17 attempts, I guess that's okay. If you throw in the 10 attempts by Zaire, that's another 87 yards on that. So I guess that's all right. Uh, but I would like to see Dexter Williams out there, you know. If, he, if we've already sort of burned the redshirt for him, let's let's get him out there. He seems like a pretty good dynamic runner as, as well. You know, the two freshmen back there might be able to uh, to uh, make something happen on special teams. If I could just go back to Carlisle for a second. I always kind of viewed him as like the slot receiver, um, I guess similar to Ben Koyak in the sense of, you know, he'll catch the ball and he's going to run, but as soon as the defender gets near him, he's going to get tackled. That's kind of how I always envisioned Carlisle. You know, he does not shifty at all. Uh, he's got some decent speed. You know, if you get a ball up the seam, he's going to run away from somebody, but, you know, he just kind of – gets near a defender and he gets tackled. So I think that's definitely not what you want a kick return. And I don't know if he's really the, the kind of guy who has the vision and, and the, the super speed to really take back, you know, 50 yard kick return or something like that. So we'll see. Uh, yeah. The, I think maybe the hot topic kind of going into next week is how much are we really going to be able to ride ProSize? I mean, it, it feels so awesome on one hand that he's playing so well really doing so much for the offense. But, you know, I think it was like 60-something snaps, and he got 20 touches in, in this game against Virginia. I, mean, it, I guess that's probably about the upper limit of touches that he's going to be able to get. He can't really do much more than that, right? I wouldn't expect to see too much more, especially let's see also what Kaiser brings in the run game. If he can run the read option effectively and get, you know, six or seven yards on a run, that will definitely uh, – bring his workload down and if we can get Josh Adams involved more as well. The other thing I will say for this year with our running game is that because our offensive line is so good and I know they didn't have a great show. I want to say they didn't have a great showing this week, but it didn't seem as obvious that they were truly dominant. But when they're on those five guys, you know, they make life for the running back pretty easy. Um, and have a lot of, and you know, if we're riding ProSize, but in reality, if ProSize is, you know, riding the O line to a lot of his yardage, um, I think we might get a little more mileage out of ProSize just because, you know, he's not necessarily, you know, you know, for a given ten yards, you know, he might not, he might only have contact on the last two yards of that carry because the offensive line has opened up holes for him to such a degree. Um, and that might expand, uh, extend his durability. Um, but I guess we're going to see. I think, I think you know, he's, he seems to be a great athlete. You know, he, he has, you know, the mental aspect seems to be down with him. Um, maybe we'll got to – I think one of the things we can do to decrease his workload is to get Torrey Hunter involved or Amir Carlisle out of the slot on some sweeps. You know, just the way that C.J. Procise just started carrying the ball last year um, – to sort of uh, supplement the running game from a different position to give him uh, some time off. Uh, to be honest with you, I'd rather see Torrey Hunter than Amir Carlisle because Amir Carlisle has thus far not shown an ability to really do anything on those sweeps. You know, he's like you like you alluded to, he's not a big yard after the catch guy. Um, and he just always seems to take a loss on those plays. So I'd like to see Torrey Hunter uh, get more involved um, in that aspect of the run game. I was going to say that, Exactly. I think, you know, you're looking at if this is going to be a team, an offense that kind of relies on the, the running game and can lean on the offensive line. You know, I, I think, you know, if Sayer stay health, stays healthy, this was an offense that was probably going to creep up to, you know, 65% runs, maybe 66, 67. Really, if you factor in, uh, you know, some fourth quarter heavy victories, um, that there could have been in the future, uh, you know, against UMass. And I'm not going to say Temple because Temple's playing really well right now, but, you know, some of the, you know, Wake Forest. Um, I still think Boston College isn't really any great shakes. But, you know, this still is an offense that can run the ball 60% of the time. Um, you know, this game finished at 58%, but that was with seven passes on the last drive. So, even with this game, they were over 60% for the majority of the game before that final drive. Um, but, yeah, I'll echo exactly what you said. I think they'd have to get that slot position involved more. Um, again, I would throw Sanders in there. I think you've got to get C.J. Sanders involved more. 
Uh, we just got to get more dynamic. Um, defenses have to worry more about, you know, our run game just outside of who's at running back. And, um, you know, it hasn't been easy. It hasn't always been easy for Notre Dame to get that slot player the ball. And, uh, you know, outside of ProSize, they really have struggled. But this just can't be the type of – we can't revert to like a Tommy Reese type of offense where, you know, maybe Kaiser runs a little bit more than Reese, but we're just kind of the stale um, – running game that just tries to overpower people and we kind of suck at short yardages and we still have all these problems in the red zone. So let's hope we see some of that stuff. I think so long as Kelly remains committed to the run, he seems to be committed to the run for the most part this season. And I think the litmus test for that is how much we see Tyler Luatua or, you know, I don't know, Chase Hounshell or one of those more blocking tight ends staying as an H back. Um, so long as we have that, I think we can do some great things, um, and that's always going to be part of the uh, equation. Just I don't really want to see a lot of single back sets on third and five. Uh, sorry, um, low, uh, empty sets on third and five. I sort of alluded to this in one of my comments that we used to see that all the time with Tommy Reese. You know, this kid is not going to run the ball. Everybody knows it. Every all eighty thousand people in the stadium know exactly that he's not running the ball. And here we are on third and five, and they're dropping eight. And we're wondering why we're not picking it up, you know. So, you know, hopefully from both a play calling point of view, from a formation point of view, and just a personnel point of view, we're going to remain committed to the run because it's, it's working. It is working. If we have the horses, let's ride them. So just to wrap up here, Notre Dame's 2-0. and I'm kind of fighting some depression after the Zaire injury. It's hard to imagine being more kind of in a funk after a 2-0 and start. What, what do you think? I, I'm kind of wrapping up my preview for this game. I'm kind of looking forward to the Georgia Tech game, and it feels like a really huge game for Notre Dame. Um, there's so much that they could grab out of a win, and yet there seems like there's so much at stake if they lose this game. Yeah, I agree. I think that's the best uh, sort of assessment of it is that it's a very high-risk, high-reward sort of situation. Um, you come away with this game – because I think if you come away with a win, it means a couple of things. It means, one, the defense played good fundamental football. Um, means we weren't trying to outthink people. We were just out straight outplaying them. Um, it means we dug deep against a good and efficient offense. And from the offensive side of the ball, it's going to mean that Deshaun Kaiser took the reins and took control um, and basically maintained continuity uh, from an offensive point of view. And that, and that it's most likely going to mean that Notre Dame was able to run the ball effectively and we were able to throw the ball, most likely play action off the, off the run. Um, and basically that the keys to success, which were what we predicted them to be going into the season, are still viable um, in terms of getting a win. Um, so I think it's not so much that this win is going to be a catapult, but the win is more going to just say that look, uh, it's just going to demonstrate that what we're doing is good and what it's going to do is work. It's going to work going forward. Um, I guess the good thing, though, from this win on uh, yesterday is that we we won. You know, it's not like, oh, God, all these things happened and we have this, you know, albatross of a loss hanging around our neck. You know, we did get the win. We're still 2-0. and um, And if you look at the AP poll, uh, we actually went up. We went from 9 to 8. Uh, so we didn't get penalized for it being a close game. If you compare Auburn, who I think went from, uh, I forget where they were last week, if they went from like six, I forget exactly where they were, but they are all the way down to 18. And, I mean, if you look at that, if you watch that game, I mean, Auburn just looked just, you know, almost outmatched by an FCS team. Um, so, you know, I think we got the respect from the pollsters that, you know, we did lose our quarterback and Virginia is a tough team at home. So, so far, we're not paying for this close victory, but it is important that it is a victory. Um, and, I mean, not that really polls matter until the committee starts talking, but, you know, it, it's sort of an indicator that we're not going to pay for this one. And it's all that matters is that we notched a one in the win column. So I thought this was kind of a 9-3 and three season. That was my prediction. Um, but at the same time, I did think that a 4-0 start was, was very – much in the cards. Um, 
you know, I think that the nine and three prediction is a little bit more shaky right now. I still think they can go four and all. I think while there's a lot to fear about Georgia Tech this weekend, I also think there might be some stuff mentally working in our favor if they can get over the injury to Isaiah and kind of move on quickly uh, in a week's time. Uh, anything else you want to talk about, Phil, before we get out of here? Uh, not much. I mean, I just I think we need to temper our expectations a little bit. I don't think you know. I I'm sticking with twelve and zero. Okay, heck? there we go. You know, I'll stick with it. You know, I think Kaiser. I mean, man, just you watch that throw. You know, I mean that that is that is ice cold, man. That is just ice cold. He he walks in there and you when he when the ball left his hand, I was just you know people are just thinking, oh man, he's just throwing, you know, just throwing and hoping you know somebody catches it, but he was throwing to a guy, you know, he was throwing to an open receiver. He, he had his eyes downfield. I mean, he threw that like a pro. I mean, that's, that's a hell of a throw. And that's, you know, takes some real cojones to make that throw, especially being pressured at the same time, you know, especially after you're, you're the second string guy and you're just came in. Yeah. I totally thought that was a heave. I'm not going to lie. I pictured, um, I think I knew filler was fuller was down there. I pictured him being covered and like a safety coming across. It was just going to be a big jump ball. And then the camera pans and voila, Fuller hits him right in stride. I was kind of worried about him getting a foot down. Kind of looked – it was pretty close, I thought, a lot closer than, you know, maybe the replay showed. But I think he only got one foot down, really, if you looked at it. But it was – And that's that was, all that matters. Yeah, exactly. That OFD. That um, that's right. That was a great throw. I mean, we're going to need – if we're going to have, a, a you know, nine, at least 9-3, but 10-2 or better – uh, Kaiser's definitely going to have to be, you know, a good quarterback. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, let's not put too much on the quarterback, but let's face it, in this, in this day and age, you need your quarterback to make plays and, and be really good for you to win football games. So we'll see what Kaiser has. And there was a lot of positive talk during fall camp, you know, that he was among the quarterbacks looking sort of like the more prototypical good passer doing sort of doing good things in the passing game um and you know sometimes you worry if that translates to the field with a backup and it it certainly looked that way um mm-hmm. you know when, when the crunch time came down so i think i think if he can you know stay the course we you know we, we still i don't think it's time to to write this season off as another one another disaster like last season i, I really don't feel that way quite yet All right, that'll wrap up our podcast. We'll see you guys next week after the Yellow Jackets visit South Bend. Let's hope Brian Van Gorder gets one up on Paul Johnson, and we're talking about another victory as uh, we get to face UMass, um, probably one of the one or two worst teams in the schedule. So uh, I'm Eric. That's Phil. Everyone check out onefootdown.com for more coverage of all Fighting Irish athletics and Fighting Irish football, and we'll see you later.